Have you ever thought, I just want to move to a better life? Well, stick around. We're going to talk about how to do that right here, right now. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here we go. Hey, I am so eager to jump into the questions here for today. Last week, I had a guest on here. A lot of you commented on the interview I had with my friend, Ray Edwards. I love the fact that for a lot of you, you're rethinking maybe your past beliefs about money, about having money and what it can do. So anyway, love those conversations ongoing, but I'm eager to get back to the questions that have piled up over the last two weeks then. So we're going to jump right into those. Some of those are going to be, Dan, can you walk us through your decision matrix that led you to make the big move, including why you chose a city you now live in? Also, how did you get your wife on board? Sure, I'll tell you that. Somebody asked, Dan, I'm a 67-year-old pastor looking for some guidance on what retirement might look like as I feel an obligation to continue to serve God and give back. And somebody says, I want to leave the family business, but I feel guilty because of what they've given me. And we wrap it up if we can get to this one. Can I be successful without my spouse's support? All right, we're going to jump into those. Got some fun resources for you. Uh, I'm going to tell you how you can get a new life here right real quick. Our quotation for today comes from George Bernard Shaw, who says, don't wait for the right opportunity, create it. Now, that's going to be a real pivotal principle as we kind of unpack some of the questions today. Sometimes, and our resource for today, incidentally, that goes along with this is Acres of Diamonds. I know we've offered this before, but it's, it's a free resource. Just go to 48days.com slash acres, A-C-R-E-S. And it's that old traditional story about sometimes your opportunity is right under your nose and you didn't need to go around the other side of the world looking for it. Well, sometimes both are fun to do. Well, let's let's start with some good news. I'm going to tie this into some of the questions we've got here. But remember in Peanuts when Lucy would set up her psychiatric help booth, Five Cents? And I loved those little segments. Psychiatric help, Five Cents. So there was one where Charlie Brown showed up and he says, so I bought Linus a new blanket. I really thought I was doing the right thing. And Lucy the five-cent psychiatrist says, I'm not quite sure how I can put this, Charlie Brown, but let me say this. In all of mankind's history, there has never been more damage done than by people who thought they were doing the right thing. Five cents, please. Deep thoughts. Love her psychiatric help. Here's another one. Charlie Brown shows up and he says, I have deep feelings of depression. What can I do about this? Lucy, snap out of it. Five cents, please. Well, along that line... There is an 11-year-old kid in New York who sets up his little booth and he offers emotional help. Now, what he does, emotional advice, he offers that at $2 for a five-minute session. Now, he's been doing this for a couple of months. I may have even mentioned it before, but it's, I love what he's doing. 
actually, he's really very good. He, he's very good at connecting. He's really good at eye contact. He really has that deep emotional connection. People trust him, and people are serious about coming to get his advice. So he sets up his little booth with a, a little cardboard sign, much like Lucy did with her psychiatric help, Five Cents. So he said that he got his idea for this kind of entrepreneurial business because he was being bullied in school. But he was raised by parents who encouraged him to be kind to others. So he decided that he'd funnel his feelings into helping others with their life problems. Now, on a typical day, he, he makes $50, $75, and he just funnels that back into feeding his classmates at school, the ones that are struggling. Just a great kind of thing. 11-year-old sets up his booth, emotional advice, $2, five minutes, and he has people who come repeatedly and makes his money. What a cool idea. I mean, I never get tired of hearing about the things that kids are doing today. And they're not just to make money, but to really do something worthwhile, something that makes sense. I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy may be um, a life coach by the time he's 15 years old. And uh, rightfully so, if he's really providing great help for people, we wish him well on doing that. Now, I've talked a couple times about the repurposing of old properties. Now, here's one. This is being done in Paris, where they're taking underground parking lots. Now, it's no secret that fewer people in big cities are owning cars. More people are using other kinds of transportation. Of course, with Uber and now autonomous cars, you know, self-driving cars, there's fewer people that are thinking about getting cars. So they've got these massive underground parking lots. Well, they're turning them into mushroom farms. All kinds of mushrooms, shiitake, oyster, white button mushrooms. They grow well in the dark. So the conditions are perfect for that. But I love this. Uh, there, there's one in Paris called the Cave. It's one of three such converted garages that have been uh, set up since 2017. So, it's, And then they have food source right there in the middle of the city. So they have an outlet for the food that they're growing. It's repurposing the property. I love those kind of things. Now, there's, I've talked about some other things as well. There's a whole lot of coal, copper, silver mines around the world. I mean, you, you really would be surprised at how many of those there are. And when you think about those, I mean, they're massive structures or lack of structure, whatever you call it, where there are holes in the ground, with, but big spaces. And a lot of those are being repurposed for other kind of things. You know, hydroponic growing, you know, gardens, and they get, they have in, in that kind of environment, you know, they can control the temperature, they can control disease, other kind of contaminants. It's an ideal environment for really valuable plants. There are even other uses as well. Open mines have been turned into beautiful lakes, recreation areas. There's an old quarry in Shanghai in China that is now the Wonderland Hotel. It's a 18-story hotel. 16 stories are below ground. Only two are above the ground. But it, it's a high-end hotel, five-star hotel with 16 stories below ground. Well, a lot of other things have turned into um, RV parks, I mean, where you can ride motorcycles and things. Um, there's a 
a bike park. The others certainly have just been used for water kind of features. But I love these ideas where somebody takes something that appears to be trash. I mean, in Franklin, Tennessee, we had an old mattress factory. It was just an eyesore, just a decrepit old building. And the problem was, because of the way they built buildings years ago with all the massive steel structure and everything, the cost for demolishing it were so exorbitant, nobody wanted it if you gave it to them. Well, Calvin Lehew, somebody who sees things differently, just the consummate entrepreneur, saw that and said, I want to take that over. So he did. And then he refurbished it where he maintained the structure, all the old open venting, the big gears and everything, conveyors going through there, and turned it into this phenomenal kind of a mini mall. And he doesn't lease space to any kind of big name chains. It's all local entrepreneurs, mom and pop, arts and crafts. But there are restaurants in there. There are meeting facilities. I mean, there are people like you know Michael Hyatt and others who have conferences there because it's got great conference space, place for plays and all that. But he's turned into this beautiful, beautiful, extremely profitable ventures by seeing it with new eyes. I expect you, if you're listening to this, be able to do that. To see things that other people just see as trash, how could you repurpose it? How could you come up with a new use for something that other people are just walking around, kicking out of the way, and you're seeing, no, that actually may offer itself to a new use that would be profitable, beneficial for everybody. All right, let me jump into some more here. Eric says, I know you recently moved from Tennessee to Florida. Can you walk us through your decision matrix that led you to make the big move, including why you chose the city you now live in. Also, how did you get your wife, Joanne, on board? With people discovering the benefits of working remotely from home, many are now relocating to more affordable places where they can enjoy a better quality of life versus the old model of moving to where the work is. I mean, that's one of the core tenets of 48 Days is to plan your work around the life you want rather than the other way around, which is what most people do. Um, he's this guy. Uh, let's see. Eric is in California. He says, has been an exodus of high profile businesses, entrepreneurs and influencers that are leaving due to high taxes, COVID shutdown orders, the ever increasing homeless problem and public safety concerns. After 22 years here, I'm thinking of doing the same despite the weather and beaches with Fort Lauderdale, Charleston, South Carolina and Wilmington, North Carolina topping my list. My primary motives are the financial benefits, but my wife is balking. Okay, let me do a quick recap. Joanna and I have always moved for the lifestyle, not the job or the business opportunities, for the lifestyle. So we both grew up in Ohio. We met at the Ohio State University, but we um, you know, moved from Mansfield, where we both lived, to Columbus to go to school together. So that was a reasonable move to get away from you know, family and farm. And uh, it was an adventure for us. We absolutely loved it and lived just off campus in a trailer park that was full of students, nothing but students. We paid $27.50 a month for our rent that included the space we were parked in, plus water and sewage. So uh, we just uh, kept expenses down. I've got to come back to this in a little bit because we got somebody asking about going to school and not incurring debt. I'll tie this in there as well. But anyway, we went to Columbus. And then from Columbus... After I decided to go back to graduate school, we looked for where would we like to live for a couple of years while I get my master's degree. 
So it wasn't, where's the best school in the world? It was, no, where would we like to live? And we thought, well, when we go south, we always really like this strata of states that are North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. Well, I don't want, so I looked at schools. I looked at seven schools that were in that area where we thought we would like to live. I was accepted at all seven, and we chose to go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, Western Kentucky University, went there. But that's why we went there. We went there because, golly, the rolling hills, we fell in love with the town. And I thought, well, geez, you know, it's as good a school as any. Let's go here. So we did that. Then we moved to Anaheim, California after I got my master's degree. And again, we went there, not because of some great business opportunity, but because we didn't want to grow old wishing we had lived in Southern California. And we heard a lot about it. You know, we had friends out there. We thought, well, why don't we do that? It's a big change for us. Why don't we go out there? So we did. Went out there for four years. And then the, the opportunities were astounding. No question about it. I found so many things to do. It was mind-blowing. And again, didn't go because of a specific opportunity as much as we just wanted to live there. But then after we'd been there for four years, I thought, wow, you know, the opportunities are awesome, but we find ourselves leaving on the weekends to go somewhere else where we want to be. So we would leave Anaheim, California and go to, you know, Lake Powell or Palm Springs or somewhere else to get out of town. I thought, well, no, this is kind of crazy. Why don't we live somewhere? So when we walk out the back door, we're where we want to be. So instead of fighting the smog, which was really bad in California at that time, still is the congestion bad then still is, uh, you know, this is really not the life we want. So we moved back to Bowling Green, Kentucky. We're there for several years. And then we moved a little farther south to Nashville because we wanted to be where there was a change of season, but none too harsh. Had a major airport for travel. It was a central location, easy access and desirable destination point for uh, people who wanted to come to our conferences and mastermind events. A lot of cultural things for the kids. So we've been there for a very long time, Nashville. Now, we just recently moved to Osprey, Florida. We've been coming down to this area for 25 years. Nokomis, Venice, here in Florida. We love the area. We know, you know our favorite restaurants, beaches, and all that. So we've been coming down here a lot. But we were doing a lot of events on our property in Franklin, Tennessee, and I was really resistant to moving. Now, Joanne was ready to move a long time ago. She loves the water, energized by the sun, the ocean, absolutely loves that, can never get enough of it. And always in our times down here, you know, would regret, regretfully count the days down till we had to go back to Tennessee. So I knew that was a clock ticking and we had kind of a 10 year plan where I was going to be more open to it and kind of consider that. And then the county came along and said, well, you can't do events on your property in Tennessee anyway. And it really changed the timeline because then all of a sudden we had a big property to maintain and we weren't doing anything on the property really connected with our business. I can do my business anywhere. So it changed our plan. And all of a sudden, we just decided, you know what? There's really no reason we can't go ahead and move. And even there, I was committed not to move until we wrapped up everything on our properties in Tennessee. That hasn't happened yet. Still dealing with some things. We decided just to go ahead and do it anyway. So we knew the area that we wanted to come to down here. We were really set on that because of so many years of experience. So we knew that. But when we started looking, then we discovered the community that we're in that's just a little bit north of where we had been looking, but we were not aware of this prior to that. So we moved here. Now, again, the the process was we love the weather. You know, we're ready to have 
nice weather all the time. And this week when our, our friends you know, back in Tennessee are having is zero degrees, you know, it was 82 degrees here this week, uh, continues to be. So we kind of uh, missed the bullet. The, the entire state did when the rest of the country is suffering from the cold snap. And I certainly feel for those of you who got trapped in that, you know, suffering without power, certainly a horrible kind of thing, but we have not been affected here in Florida. There's been so many affirmations that has seemed to confirm our decision, but it wasn't, it's not a major deal. I mean, we could have moved somewhere else. We could have moved, you know, to another country. We talked about Costa Rica or Puerto Rico. You know, we looked at even places like that. So it wasn't that there's only one right place in the world. Nah, you know, we're, we're going to be the same people no, no ever, wherever we go. Now, here's the process, though, that we use to go through deciding how are we going to make a decision. Now, this is laid out in page, uh, well, it's actually page 86 of the new version of 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love. So the 20th anniversary edition, where I walk through this decision-making process. Now, let me give you a little bit of prep to this right out of the book here. Jim Rohn spoke to the issue, and I'm talking about indecision. In this chapter, I'm talking about uh, success is more than a job and how you build a lifestyle that you really want. So in this chapter, I'm talking about that. Jim Rohn spoke to this issue in his book, Facing the Enemies Within, where he says, indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. It will steal your chances for a better future. Take a sword to this enemy. Now, in the 40 Days Eagles community, we are going through a year-long study of Think and Grow Rich, the old classic book by Napoleon Hill. In there, he says, indecision is the seedling of fear. Indecision crystallizes into doubt. The two blend and become fear. Now, I'm setting this up like this because a lot of you are asking about the decision-making process. You know, get caught in indecision. Um, I mean, the Bible talks about indecision in James 1, 6 to 8, but let him ask in faith without doubting for the doubter or the indecisive person is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. Well, indecision is like that. I know it's crippling. I don't want to get caught in that. So Joanna and I have used a process for many years, whereby we give ourselves two weeks maximum for arriving at a decision, no matter what it is. Now, here's the five steps. Number one, state the problem. Number two, get the advice and opinions of others you trust. Number three, list the alternatives. Number four, choose the best option. Number five, act. All right, now let me just wrap up this here. I've got a couple other uh, cool tips I want to give you here, but be careful of thinking that moving is your magic ticket to a better life. And I think of that old adage, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And we see that borne out a lot. There are a lot of people that thought Franklin, Tennessee was the magic location. My goodness, they look there and there's Dave Ramsey and Michael Hyatt and Jeff Goins and John Acuff and Donald Miller, Amy Porterfield, Dan Miller. They're thinking, wow, this is where things happen. Well, they do. There's no question about it. But those people could go anywhere and do what they're doing. It's not geography. It's intern- It's your mindset, your idea, your taking action. I mean, those are the things that are going to make you successful regardless of where you go. Well, I love the topic. Golly, we could park there forever, but I want to go on here. I want to give you a couple of cool 
options here. If you want to move, yeah, I got a couple of really cool options you might want to consider. So here's a Mississippi city that'll pay you a monthly stipend and relocation cost to move there. Now, how would you like to have a place? Now, we're not talking, you know, foreign here. We're talking about Mississippi, where you can go. And this is the historic city of Natchez. I mean, Natchez, Mississippi. Wow, there's a whole lot of, golly, Elvis Presley history there. I mean, a lot of things that have happened around Natchez, Mississippi. But they're going to pay you $6,000 to relocate there and give you uh, let's see, they'll give you $2,500 in moving. Exp- oh, this is how the $6,000 is broken down. $2,500 in moving expenses and $300 a month for a year. So it comes with a little caveat. You stay there a year, they'll give you $300 a month, but $2,500 right up front. So give you 6000 bucks just to come there because they want to reestablish, build up what's happening there in Natchez. And this is a great city. I mean, it's home to about 15,000 people. Uh, median income is $96,000. So it's it's a thriving community, but they'll do that if you want to move there. So there you go. That's no, that's one. If you want a place to go, if you're one of these want to get out of California, um, wow. I mean, that's, yeah, like our, like our listener here, that's certainly an option. Here's another one. How about this one? There's an Italian village that's selling homes for $1.25. To populate the town. Now you heard me right, a dollar and twenty-five cents. Now this is the island of Sardinia. And I looked it up. This is an island off the coast of Italy. It's an island in between Italy and Spain. Now, if you think about Adelic wonderful places to live, I would think that would rank pretty high. Now it's not some little postage stamp. I mean, it's a good size island. I mean, it's been populated for years, um, but the population has decreased down to about 1,300 people. But it's a place known for mountain landscapes, waterfront scenery. I mean, look it up. Look, look, look it up, Sardinia. And it's a little tiny town that's called O-L-L-O-L-A-I. So the, you can buy a house for $1.25. Now, there is kind of a catch not an unrealistic one at all. Prospective buyers must agree to renovate their newly bought home within three years of purchasing the real estate, which is estimated to cost about $25,000. Okay, no big deal. So you buy a house for a dollar. You are obligated to put $25,000 in it and you're living on an island off the coast of Italy? Wow. Well, check it out. Hey, if you want, I mean, there's, it, this is a real deal. You can check it out. If you want to take advantage of that, I'd be delighted to hear your story about how that turned out. Sounds like a great setup to me. You know, I mean, that's something Joanna and I could consider easily. I mean, that's not out of the scope of possibility. Again, we love where we are, trust me, but we've always loved where we are. I mean, that's the real point here, I think. All the places I've mentioned that we've, we loved every single one. When we lived in that little trailer just off the campus of Ohio State University, we thought that was the coolest place in the universe. We had neighbors in and out. We had parties there. We built a little patio over, I mean, awning over a little patio that we had. We planted a couple of trees. We had our first baby there, put a little fence up so we could have a little baby Kevin, who now hosts the Ziggler Show, in playing in the yard there. I mean, we've always loved, we've never lived any place where we regretted living there. 
Well, I hope you can do the same. All right, this comes from Jim. He says, I'm a 67-year-old pastor who's thinking of retiring in several years. I'm looking for some guidance on what retirement might look like as I feel an obligation to continue to serve God, give back. I'd like to explore starting my own business blogging, writing, speaking in order to help others. I'm not sure if I'm dreaming too big or impractically. Uh, Furthermore, do I really want to be this busy in retirement? I heard Dan talk on Read to Lead. That's Jeff Brown's podcast that purchased his 48 Days book for my son. Having read it myself first, I like Dan's biblical approach. I thought I would start here. Um, Thank you. Okay, here's the deal. You know, wow, what a great place, Jim, that you're in to be approaching retirement, 67 years old, still young, a lot of years to give, but you now can choose exactly what you want. And that's what I would encourage you to do, to look at all the things you've done as a pastor and then look at just a gentle expansion of just the two or three things you've enjoyed most in being a pastor. When I work with pastors, that's exactly what we do. Most of them are required to do, you know, 25, 30 different things. Well, that's not realistic. You know, you you can do that. That's part of your job. But once you move out of that, then you have the luxury of just deciding, okay, all those things, yeah, I can do it. But what are the two or three things that I really enjoy doing? So if it's, if you really enjoyed speaking from the pulpit, Wow, take three or four of your best messages and then find opportunities to share that same inspiration with other churches, conferences, universities, or wherever it would be fitting. You might be able to take a couple of those messages and craft them into a short course. I mean, I talked about that recently on here. You know, if you have, what, what could you do? It could be, you know, how to establish a godly mindset, you know, how to move through obstacles. You know, how to overcome grief and hardship. I mean, it could be a, any one of a hundred things, but you decide what it is that you really care about. I used as an example that I created a course on masterminds, how to create your own mastermind. It's something that's really near and dear to my heart, something I learned about from Think and Grow Rich when I was just a teenager. And I've always been involved in groups because of that. Put together a short course, took me, you know, I mean, I, I created the content, but it's it's like 60 pages. It's not a big document at all. And then took a Friday morning and did like uh, six or eight little short videos, put that up as a course. One of the places I put that is on Udemy. And in looking at just that, I see that I've generated about, eh, about $85,000 from doing just that. That's the kind of thing that you can do. When you identify, see, this is much different than getting a little paycheck as a pastor, you know, that you hope comes in on Friday. No, you can leverage, you can repurpose the content you've developed as a pastor and then put it out there in a way that will create continuing, ongoing, passive residual income. Now you can do the same thing with your writing. You mentioned writing. Wow. If you enjoy writing, writing certainly served me very well. I love writing, but you can put together a little ebook. It can be a devotional. I'm, I'm putting one together right now with 90 segments in it, just short segments, six, 700 words each, 90 of those in there. It's going to be titled An Understanding Heart, it's going to be done with a leather cover, gold age pages, bookmark. I mean, I'm thrilled about what I'm putting together. You know, you can do that. If you found that you really enjoyed the coaching or counseling, which most pastors are required to do a lot of, if you find that you really enjoyed that, that was very fulfilling for you and rewarding for the people you worked with. It's very easy to position yourself as a coach where you have two or three different ways to engage with you 
and offer those services to people and do that. And the thing is, on any of these, you can decide how much you want to do. You aren't locked into 40 hours. You aren't locked into weekends and evenings like you've been expected to be available as a pastor. No, you can do exactly what you decide to do. If you want to put in 15 hours a week, boom, you know, use our 15 hour a week model for that. If you want to commit 20 hours a week to doing these kind of things and no more, or if you want to take six months and create some things, if you create a course and you create some kind of a, a written project, a book, you can take six months off because now you have things that are in place that are going to create income, even if you're not involved directly day by day. Wow, great question. Love what you're what you've done. Thank you for doing what you've done. But congratulations on moving in this new season. And absolutely you can continue to serve people well and perhaps have a broader impact than what you've had even as a local pastor. Thomas says, I love your show and books. I have two daughters. And they're almost ready for high school graduation. My oldest is a very talented writer. For some reason, she believes conservatives are evil. I have countered that somewhat, but it almost seems like some kind of a cult belief with no real substance. In the interest of family peace, I choose not to fight and die on that rock, but she is also getting ready for college. And I'm terrified that she will incur massive debt and get nothing out of it as she's already on a radical or activist path. Wow. The whole educational system seems terribly corrupt. The guest college counselors that came to her high school were pushing hard for AP courses, and those mean, you know, advanced placement. You're getting ready, kids ready for college, really, is the purpose of those. And I asked one of the college counselors, so what are the job prospects for the average graduate, and what is their average salary versus the debt incurred? And she snapped back, oh, those aren't real concerns. Our average student is doing amazing. We have lots of placements and companies line up for our graduates. Well, and that was my last question in that event, as you might imagine. So here's my difficult question. How can I guide my oldest daughter in this process so she can get an education without massive debt and actually get decent skills from the effort? Is it even possible at a college in 2021? And if not, what is a better thing for her to consider? I'm a big fan. Understand if you can't answer this, it's totally fine. Thanks for all you do, Thomas. Well, Thomas, I, I appreciate your question. And again, it's a question that a whole lot of parents out there have. I mean, this this issue has really been exploded in the last year because with colleges not meeting, it's opened people's eyes to what is education really? What does it require to be educated? Do you have to go to a campus and live in a dormitory and go to the ball parties and the frat parties, you know, to, in order. Well, no, you don't. If you're really interested in the knowledge, there's a whole lot of ways to get that. And, and what's happening is that a whole lot of students are choosing not to go back to campuses. Now, I just was in touch yesterday with uh, one of the colleges where I was uh, scheduled to speak back in April. Well, that didn't happen. They postponed it till October, and October told me, wow, nobody's coming back to school. We can't have this event that we had planned because students aren't coming back. And I was just checking in with them to see where they are at this point in the process. But this, is, this has been a game changer. This is going to change how we see academics forever. And it's not all bad. I mean, I don't want to crush colleges and universities, but it's going to change. I recently was at a men's luncheon and I 
I mentioned on here that I, we had a futurist as our speaker. David Hull was the speaker for the day. And I asked him, I said, how are colleges staying relevant when things are changing so quickly? He says they can't. That was it. He says they, they absolutely cannot. I mean, they don't have relevance with the way things are changing so quickly. I mean, look at the way the communication is changing, transportation, you know, electronic technology. I mean, things are changing so fast. If somebody starts learning something now and they have four years that they're going to study this to become good, well, what's going to happen in those four years? I mean, it's going to change so dramatically, we won't even recognize what they're studying today. It'll be obsolete. So companies are looking for people and looking at, what have you done in the last six months? What have you done in the last year? You know, what course, what have you done to, to improve or keep yourself current with the changes in this industry? Not where did you get a degree 10 years ago? Now, there's a lot of, a lot of implications here, obviously. You know, I just had some, a little medical procedure done. You know, I don't want somebody just decided last week that they're going to be a doctor. They're going to be a surgeon that's going to cut me open or a nurse that's going to come to my house. No, you know, it does require training and some of those things. So this is something to be taken on a very individualized basis. But for your daughter just to go to school and get some kind of a, a liberal arts degree, wow, it's very, very tough to justify the expense to do that. No doubt about it. Now, you can go to school debt-free. I mean, I'm an old farm kid. I, when I went to school, I didn't know, know any better than to pay for what I was getting. So I just did that. I mean, Joanna and I lived on, lived on nothing. You know, we lived in that little trailer off campus, kept our expenses extremely low. I could still hustle things on the weekends, do farm work and so on. And we just survived on what we had. She got a job at Ohio State University um, Hospital where she had some kind of a file clerk job, you know, which gave us just basic money. And we just lived on that. We didn't, we didn't, weren't looking to, to live high in a hog while we were going to school. We lived very simply and graduated with no debt at all. So I was out then for four years, then went back to graduate school. At that point, we had purchased a home. We, so I sold our house. I sold my, my Jag XKE convertible that I had. Uh, and then we lived in a house near campus where I was getting my graduate degree, my master's degree. And we were living in a house for $75 a month, but I never paid that. Now, don't think I'm a jerk that I left town. I had an arrangement with a landlady who became a wonderful, wonderful dear mother friend of ours. And I worked on that house. And so I did improvements on the house and worked it off so that I never actually paid the $75 a month rent. So again, we lived very, very inexpensively. Joanne worked as a seamstress for hard to fit women. I got a teaching assistantship position at the university. They'd eliminated my tuition and I got a $200 a month stipend for groceries and incidentals. I rode my bike back and forth to classes. I had taken money from that Jag XKE and bought a $600 Plymouth satellite four-door, ugliest car I've ever had, but it was appropriate for that period in our life. We didn't need to be driving a fancy car for two years when I was getting my master's degree. So again, my master's degree, no debt, no debt of any kind. I mean, we had money in the bank and then moved to California, had some fun things that we did, but came out of that. And then it was years later when I started my doctoral program. By then I was making income as a coach. So I didn't live in any fancy campus, just paid for the classes. It was through Oxford. So I would go back and forth to England for like three weeks at a time. So again, never dreamed of 
getting any kind of student loan debt for that. Now, those experiences were very formative for me. There's no question about it. I really value those highly. So I've got those degrees, and it's not like I'm dissing having those degrees, but for me, they were part of my personal development. They were the best way that I knew to grow personally. They were not to get a piece of paper that would thus secure me some kind of a position because I, I never did that. I never put together a resume and looked for a job. It never, never occurred to me. I was doing the academic process for personal development. If your daughter can figure out a way to pay her own way and she wants to do that in college, then I say let her make that decision. But I don't think you should fund her time there to try to figure things out. I don't think it's justified. I would never recommend that somebody borrow more than the amount of income they expect to make in their first year once they get a degree. Now, for a lot of people these days, I mean, you're still looking at $40,000. So to come out of school with $120,000 debt is so unrealistic. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, even those that have, you know, $30,000, $40,000 debt, boy, I see so many kids. I mean, it breaks my heart to see these kids who never finished their college degree, and now they're working, you know, at Starbucks, which is fine, but they got student loan debt. I mean, it, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense at all. So the real question is, yeah, what does your daughter want to pursue? Could she get better clarity by working in some kind of a job for a year or two years before she goes to college? College is way too expensive and not a good place to just be floundering around trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. Nope, not a good place at all. And today I would recommend that you get the book by Anthony O'Neill. Anthony is one of Dave Ramsey's um, spokespeople, and it's Debt-Free Degree. I mean, get that book. I mean, they obviously believe you can get a degree with no, with no debt. I do as well. Debt-Free Degree. Grab that. Stick to your guns on that. Your daughter may be upset with you. I mean, I understand that, but for kids to think that their parents owe them a free ride through college is a totally unrealistic model. And uh, certainly my, my parents resisted my going to college. They thought I should stay home and work on a farm. So I certainly didn't get any kind of financial help from them. Zero, 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 zero. But that's okay. I mean, that way I valued it and I made it work in a way where I did value it and had a lot of reasons for doing what I was doing. So I did pursue that, even though I didn't have any kind of free ride for it, but I pursued it because I thought it was helpful, again, for my personal development. Let me know on that. Wow, tough decisions as a, as a daddy, but uh, certainly stick to your guns on that. And uh, over the long haul, I think everybody involved will see that it was a good decision. So Chris says, I have a dilemma, no doubt, I work for the family business. I have for the last 17 years. I know what I want to do, which is start a photography business full-time. My parents uh, know I want to do this. We talked about it, and then COVID hit completely, and it was a lot of months of, are we even going to make it? Well, now the business has made it. Things are picking back up. I'm finding myself stressing about everything from, did I water the plants at the office, to uh, do you want me to rush the job that you rushed in to have me rush? The two passions I have are music and photography. They aren't proving to be successful right now because playing shows isn't an option. And what I shoot mainly, bands, musical bands, those events aren't happening, happening either. I shoot fine art too, which right now is more of a better option, I think, to pursue. 
Um, anyway, he goes on how he's uh, been reaching out my resume and portfolio, been sent to a lot of places. My challenge is twofold. I love my parents and I'm beyond grateful for what they've done to help me in the last 17 years. I couldn't pay them back even if I tried. However, they, I feel like they still think of me as a child, even though I'm 34 and I haven't lived at home since 20 years old. My other challenge is that I feel like I'm letting a family down by wanting to do other things. But I don't enjoy the work that I do overall. I give it 100%, but I don't have any passion for it. With COVID, I feel stuck. I feel like putting energy into providing a service for people in a market that isn't happening. We don't know if it's going to come back full. I find it very hard to concentrate on the three-legged stool where I am, so I'm at a crossroads. I've changed my mindset. I've done personal growth exploration for the last two years. Thinking about going to another job that would be, you know, something in an industry that I'm interested in, but how do I make this change? And he goes goes on about how to do that. All right, Chris. Wow, what a interesting place to be, and uh, certainly something that I've seen many, many times over the years. A lot of times, well-meaning parents set their kids up to take over a family business when it's not a really great fit. Your story reminds me of Cliff Ravenscraft. Many of you know Cliff, the podcast answer man. He was working for his dad in his dad's insurance business. He was making $87,000 a year and he was in line, obviously, to inherit the business, take it over and double that and go on from there. But he didn't enjoy the business. And he quit to start this little podcast thing. Of course, he's gone on to do some amazing things you know, since then and never, never looked back, no regrets and certainly a wonderful relationship with his dad and his dad recognizing his heart is in what he's doing now, not what he was preparing him to do in the insurance business. But a lot of stories like that. My, my own daughter, Ashley works for me and has for 19 years. So even longer than you've been in your family business. I just thought of that. She got out of school and I'm like, okay, hon, you know, what do you want to do now? And she says, I want to work with you. And I'm like, geez, don't you want to go do something else? She says, no, I want to do this. However, In doing this with me, her life has changed. That was 19 years ago. Now she's been married. She has three girls, the oldest one a teenager. I mean, her life has changed dramatically. And at various points, we've come back together and said, look, is this your dream? Or are you just helping dad live out his dream? I mean, the last thing I want of all people is to have a child working for me where it's not a perfect fit for them and what they're doing. Well, we've worked through that really well, actually thrives in what she does. And I'm thrilled. I mean, she's my gold standard for somebody who gets things done in an amazing way. So, but I want to make sure on a day by day basis that it really is complementing her dream, not just mine. That being said, if your parents recognize this is not your dream, it really serves no one well for them to try to talk you into stay there. They should embrace your desire to go to something else. But here's what I would recommend that you do to make this transition and make it seamlessly. I'd recommend that you use our 15-hour week model. When you talk about you, you want to do things you know, that involve you know, photography, well, when you, you know, when you talk about that, it's not likely that you're just going to get a job that pays you a salary. You're talking about something where you're going to have to do it as an entrepreneur, where you figure out, if you're going to photograph weddings or sporting events or kids in schools, you know, whatever it is, however you're going to do that, if you're going to do still life things, some of the art things that you talk about doing there, figure out how you're going to do that. Create your own little business model, but only dedicate 15 hours a week to doing that. But prove that you can do it. And then when you're creating 50% of the income you're now earning, 
you'll have a more you'll have more confidence in your new direction and it'll make more sense to your family. Those conversations are going to be a lot easier if you say, "Wow, you know, I'm now generating consistently, you know, $4,000 a month in this side business. I really think I can do this." Instead of just walking away saying, "I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go figure something out." No, go ahead and start now doing what it is that you want to do. I mean, that, and I think that'll give you the exit plan that you're looking for and everybody will be happy. You know, it's interesting how many people I've had over the years, uh, parents who have sent their kids to me because the kids had restless feet, like you're describing, where my recommendation was that the kids were given liberty to leave. So not, not getting the results or the advice that the parents were necessarily hoping for, but what I thought really was best for the child involved. You can do this. You can do this, Chris. And I'd be interested to get an update from you in six months. All right, one more here from Laura. This is, this is interesting. She says, hi, Dan. I met you and Joanne at an Igniting Souls conference a couple of years ago. That's the amazing conference that Carrie Oberbrunner puts on. This very subject is why I wrote the book, Unipreneur, how to live your passion in a house full of dream killers. Now, what she, what she is addressing here is the fact my position is if your spouse is not on board, don't try to make a business on your own work. There's too many challenges in that. She says, Laura says, I learned how to navigate those rough waters following what God put in my heart and nurturing a great relationship with my dream-killing husband. We'll be married 43 years in April and very happy together. By the way, I still think you and your awesome wife are superstars. Now, the book she references that she wrote under Carrie Oberbrunner's program, is a what is it, author academy elite program, is Unipreneur, How to Live Your Passion in a House Full of Dream Killers. Well, Laura, I jumped on Amazon instantly when I got your note. Order the book. It'll be here tomorrow. I'll read it from cover to cover immediately because I'm really interested in your perspective on this. How to live your passion in a house full of dream killers. To me, that's a really big challenge. Now, I reference frequently Joanne. We've been married a long time. I have no idea what my work path would have looked like had I not had her unconditional and enthusiastic support. I just can't imagine trying to make it work without that. Can't imagine coming home and trying to talk about what I did or gee, you know, didn't get a whole lot of income this week and having a, a, a spouse who was saying, well, you know, I knew it wasn't going to work. You know, why are you doing that silly thing? Why don't you get a, get a real job? Well, and frankly, it, it makes me cringe a little bit to read your sentence here, Laura, that, um, I learned how to navigate those rough waters of following what God put in my heart and nurturing a great relationship with my dream-killing husband. We'll be married 43 years in April and are very happy together. Wow, it's hard for me to reconcile that. A dream-killing husband and you're very happy together? What are those conversations like? I mean, I, I'm certainly not recommending that you aren't with your husband, but there, there's got to be some level of support or you guys could not have stayed together. So I got the book. I'm going to maintain. I put a note in the Eagles community this week, and we were talking about that. But Tony Lynch from England 
Uh, so Dan, I totally agree with the following comment where I had said, I don't recommend aspiring entrepreneurs to start a business without the support of their spouse. He says without, or having started my business back in 95, I could not be where I am today without the loving support of my wife. I know that often the spouse will see the pressure that their loved ones go through together brings an ownership, which can be a great help. And yeah, you know, we, we have a long continuum of work models. Now I lay this out in 48 days to the work you love going from the traditional job to consulting, to franchises, to very unstructured entrepreneurial kind of options. So we can see a, a, if you draw a line going from, you know, left to right, there's a whole lot of different work options going from very unstructured to things that are very structured. All right. Or vice versa. So with spousal opposition or even no spousal support, I typically recommend the traditional job. Just get something where you go in, you do it, you do it well, you use one set of skills. It's eight to five, you come home. That's what I recommend. Now, with, without support, that seems to be the best option. If you have total, unqualified, unconditional support, wow, the door is so wide open. Now you got to prove yourself. You can't just be bumbling along at the bottom of the barrel. You got to prove yourself for sure. But it gives you the opportunity to move in those areas where otherwise you would not have that kind of emotional freedom to do so. Well, hey, thanks for your questions. My goodness, always a privilege to jump on here and answer these. I was eager to get back to these. Again, after having an outside interview last week, but eager to get back to these. Continue to shoot these in. Send your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, a lot of ways to get them in there, but just uh, askdan48days.com, easiest way. Thanks for your continuing questions, for the enthusiasm, the innovation and creativity that I'm seeing coming out of this tough year. But a lot of you are coming up with things that you couldn't have dreamed of a few months ago, and now you're moving into these new areas. I'm inspired by seeing what you're doing. Thanks for being part of this community where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You don't need to settle for less. 